There's a snap. There's a kick. It is up. It is. No good. No one missed. I think we got a heck of a shot of winning. We beat anybody in the world, and I think we're going to win next Sunday. Eli Manning stays on his feet. Airs it out down the field. It is caught by Tyree. For all you non-believers, disrespect us. Talk crap about the defense like we ain't the third best defense in the league. See you in Pittsburgh. Can't wait. Fitzpatrick. And so, Eric Decker holds it in. The Jets win in overtime. And the New York Giants, given last rights by many in December, are the Super Bowl champs in February. This is NFL Friday. Going long on all news, reaction, and game picks for the Giants, Jets, and across the NFL on WFUV Sports. Welcome into another installment of NFL Friday, WFUV's number one NFL podcast. Now, I am very, very excited for today's episode because even though we're Honestly, several days removed from the conclusion of week one of the 2023-2024 NFL season, I still think just in the tri-state area alone, the amount of storylines that we were given through this first week of the season gives us quite a bit to unpack today, and I'm very, very excited, like I said, to get into it. But before I get any further, on my left, I have none other than Brian Raybacks. And on my right, I have Merrick. Why do I forget your last name? Ro- Rhodes. Rhodes. That's it. it. Merrick Rhodes. Sorry. You know what? I second guessed myself. I'm I'm a bad guy for that. Disrespectful. I'm a disrespectful. <laughs> I'm a disrespectful a host. But that's that's besides the point. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing well. You know, we've had a lot of time to unpack from week one, and I think this is a good time to be on NFL Friday. You get week one. You have to talk about what happens. Maybe give some overreactions. Put some of those to bed, kind of quiet narratives down a little bit. But yeah, you said it. The New York week one football games that we had, there's a lot to unpack there. So I'm excited to get into it, but I think we got a great crew today and I'm excited to unpack everything week one with you guys. Yeah, no more exciting time than week one of the NFL season. And now that's behind us. And I think the main overarching theme of these New York football teams and similar to my fantasy football teams after two losses, it's a new week. It's a new week. <laughs> Got to move forward. Can't look behind. No matter what the score sheet said this week, it's a new week to how, prove. How many, how many leagues are you in? Two? I'm in two. Two? Okay. And you lost, you lost both? Yeah, lost ah, both. Are they both, are they both with money on the line? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, right. so I'm in three money leagues, and one of, one of my teams did really well because I had Tyreek Hill. But oh, that helps. I had I had two leagues that did not go very well, so we gotta we gotta address something and clean that up well, for the f- future. Funny enough, this year I, I've said it to all my friends. This year I broke probably a four or five year streak of saying that I was gonna play fantasy football, not following through on it, and then having FOMO the entire season while all my friends do it. This is actually my first time doing like a serious like money involved fantasy football league and I'm not gonna lie it's fun it's 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 made me watch football more intently but uh let's let's talk about I I Brian I'm gonna try to do this in the least painful way possible even though there's really no non-painful way to do this to you so the New York Giants I'm I'm not even gonna try to word this nicely New York Giants got curb stomped uh (laughs) Sunday night 
in front of a national audience on Sunday Night Football against none other than their very own in the division, uh, Dallas Cowboys. Now, I don't think anyone could have been prepared for the beatdown that we witnessed on Sunday night. And the thing that I think was the overarching theme for New York, you know, credit to Dallas, they are a great football team. And I do think uh, after just week one, I think even as badly as the Giants played, the Cowboys are a team to be taken seriously as the top of their division this year. It's definitely, you know, within the realm of possibility. But it kind of felt like absolutely nothing worked on any part of the game for New York because not only was, you know, not only did the Dallas Cowboys put up 40 on them, both through special teams and defense and offense, the Giants are the only team in the NFL right now that has not scored a point in a regulation NFL game. They were shut out 40 to nothing. So, Brian, I just want to get just kind of an introductory little you know, view of the game from your point of view, because I did have to sit with you and watch it. I kind of hurt for you while watching the game. But what what do you make of this absolute curb stomping that we witnessed Sunday night? So put yourself in the shoes of a traditional NFL fan. It's week one. Really excited. Football's back. The first football Sunday of the year. You're having a really good time watching all the 1 o'clock games. The 4 o'clock games, there's some excitement there. The Patriots made things interesting with the Eagles at the end of it. So there was some good games throughout the day. And then, wait a minute, we have a Sunday night game, too. It's between the Cowboys and the new and improved Giants, who made the playoffs last year. They won a playoff game. They have Brian Dable, Coach of the Year. Daniel Jones has a new contract. He's the franchise quarterback. So America has a chance to watch Sunday night football, Giants-Cowboys, on the national stage, and the first Sunday night game of the year, everyone looks forward to it because it's the first night game, primetime game of the season, and the Giants, with all of America watching, ruined the night of every person watching that game. And it doesn't it doesn't go just Giants fans. I'm talking every football fan that thought they were going to see a competitive game. Sorry, but that's not what you got. Not competitive from the start. Your first possession... They had three first downs, so they looked pretty good. And you're thinking, oh, okay. So the Giants are picking up right where they left off. And then you have a penalty, then an awful snap from the center that leads to a huge sack. So then you kick a field goal. That field goal gets blocked, returned for a touchdown, and the game was never the same from that point on. In the blink of an eye, it was 19 to nothing. I was sick to my stomach watching that game. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't have fathomed it going into it. I know the Giants don't do well against the Dallas Cowboys. They have not beaten Dak Prescott since Barack Obama was the president. (laughs) (laughs) So they struggle against the Cowboys, but nothing could have prepared me for that. Nothing. And listen, I've watched a lot of dreadful New York Giants teams. So I've watched watched a team that from 2017 to 2021, they went 22 and 59. That was the record in a five-season span. So I've watched a lot of bad football. And I don't think that there's been a more embarrassing, more humiliating, more putrid, more sickening performance from the New York Giants than what we saw on Sunday night at home against the Dallas Cowboys. In front of Coco Goff, fresh off a U.S. Open In victory, front of Coco, too. too. How, could you you not, serious, like, how could you not at least put on a better show for Coco? And listen, I was hearing all about in the offseason, oh, Daniel Jones might have the best offensive line he's working with as a Giant. Nope. I mean, you look at some of the guys that they 
ran out there. Evan Neal, he needs to figure it out. That's a first-round draft pick, a top-10 draft pick in 2022. He was ranked 59th out of 60 tackles in pass protection. Awful. Just an awful performance. So his pass block win rate, atrocious. Mark Lewinsky, the right guard, he was graded a 1 out of 100 in pass blocking. I mean, do I do I need to say more than that? <laughs> no, you don't. The right side of the line was so bad, and the interior wasn't great too. Andrew Thomas was decent, but he was going against Micah Parsons. Like, n- nothing good came out of that game, and I just couldn't believe what I saw because, again, nothing could have prepared me for it. I, I'm sure, Merrick, you enjoyed it somewhat as an <laughs> Eagles fan, but at the same time, it's the Cowboys. So, I don't know. I'll let you take whatever whatever else you have from that game. But, yeah, I was just sick to my stomach. And it was not a good way to start my NFL season. No, no, not at all. And, I mean, the biggest thing that I took away from this game was it, there's losing, there's losing big, and then there's being helpless. And the Giants just looked helpless in all <laughs> phases of the game, whether it's special teams, offensively, defensively. They just couldn't figure it out. I mean, that new and improved O-line that people have been talking about this whole offseason got shredded last – or not last night, last Sunday. But – the, the biggest thing, and I think you nailed it, is the overarching elements of this game. Is It was the new-look Giants, or not, not necessarily new-look, but there was a lot of new pieces on this Giants offense. There's high expectations for this offense. Daniel Jones has the new contract. You're playing Dallas. They they finished ahead of you in the division last year. They're kind of they're kind of the one one A one B with with the Eagles in terms of conversations about who's going to win the NFC East. And this was the game where the Giants were supposed to come out week one prime time and show why they have gotten a lot of this hype in this offseason and show that how they plan on competing in the in the NFC East with such strong defenses like the Cowboys and the Eagles who have such strong defensive lines and I mean seven sacks in week one is not is not the way you go about showing that competitive fire and then I mean the the Cowboys offense nothing none of the stat lines really wow you but it's because they really didn't have to do anything on that side of the ball. Dak I mean, Prescott didn't throw a touchdown. <laughs> yeah, I mean Tony Which is still nuts to me. Tony Pollard only ran for for seventy three yards but still had two scores because of the field position and and everything that the Cowboys had going right in their direction. I mean this is the the Cowboys largest shutout victory of all time. The last time they had a shutout victory this big was against the Baltimore Colts back in nineteen seventy eight. So <laughs> that team doesn't so, exist anymore. So that gives you a bit of a a look. Into, into how this game panned out for the Giants. Well, and I, I, I generally tend to be a very optimistic sports fan, when I, especially even when I have teams that I root for that are struggling. And it would be one thing if this was a 40-23, to 23, where you could be like, okay, we got, we got our behinds handed to us. But we didn't we play well. There. there were things that happened that, that are good. We know what to focus in on. But... I can't blame any Giants fan for being in full-on panic mode after week one because, again, as we've mentioned and we've kind of echoed in these few minutes, you can't pull a single thing they did good at. The only thing the only thing that, truthfully, you could pull from this, the only positive that I pulled from this, I found about a negative statistic. It was that in, of the entire game, the, the New York Giants did not generate a sack and they had seven total pressures the entire game. The only high point was that four of them were from Dex Lawrence. That's the only that was the only thing I was able to pull from this. Dallas's defense had seven sacks, three forced fumbles, two interceptions, <laughs> and a blocked kick. You had Daniel Jones who, besides having minimal help, didn't look good either. Daniel oh, Jones was making stupid decisions with the ball. Brian, I knew you had opinions one, one, on that. One of the worst interceptions I've ever seen Daniel Jones throw. In in, in his fifth year in the league. Now 
It probably stems from the fact that they were down, I think, 19 to nothing when he threw it and was trying to force something, thinking, oh, I need to create a big play. Right before the half, you know, trying to get something going. It just reminded me of rookie Daniel Jones and just gave me flashbacks to the turnover machine that he was in his first two years in the league. So there's just a lot that spiraled out of control. And let, let me read you this slew of stats, so just so you can fully understand how bad this was. No team has ever lost 40 nothing or worse, lost a sack battle 7 nothing or worse, lost a turnover batter, battle 3 nothing or worse, had a blocked field goal return for a touchdown, and threw, threw a pick 6 in the same season. The Giants did all of that in one game. Getting it out of the way. <laughs> Listen, I, ho- I hope they're getting all their mistakes out of the way because that was embarrassing embarrassing. I didn't think a Brian Dable team was capable of that awful of a performance, but that's what they turned in. And it's just like, when are the Giants going to get a good offensive line? When are the receivers going to start creating the big play that they've been missing? Now, I know Darren Waller was a little banged up, and it was raining, so it was tough to throw the football, but either way, you have to show something more. And I'm not saying the season's over after one game. That would be stupid. But the season's pretty much on the line against the Arizona Cardinals. Right. And I also think, right, even though we're talking about how in every facet of the game the Giants were pitiful, I do think that the finger does get primarily pointed at the offense because the one bit of slack that you could cut the defense, as Merrick mentioned earlier, was that, you know, Pollard had two touchdowns that off of, what was it, 77 rushing yards? And it was all about field position. There was at no point really in that game that the Giants were defending uh, Dallas's offense that wasn't at a crappy part of the field. So the pressure was really getting put on the Giants' defense. Now, they certainly didn't deliver. It's certainly all around a bad game. But on top of that, we mentioned the block kick. So offense was horrible. Defense was horrible. Special teams, we talked about how the field goal got blocked. And Graham Gano missed another kick. He, there was a full separate missed kick. That this was I've never seen a football game like this. It just fell apart right from the start, and it was just really ugly to watch. I don't, I don't even know what other words I can use to describe. It's There's nothing that you can use that's safe for the air. Is really and, That's and really what it, I have other things I could call it. It's, listen, I, I'd get in serious trouble. This, this week two matchup against the Arizona Cardinals, is going to be very telling. If they barely squeak by Arizona, who has the worst quarterback situation in the entire league, mm-hmm. you might have a problem, and you have to win Sunday. Not a lot of teams are in a season-saving situation in Week 2, but that's where the Giants have put themselves in after a horrible performance on Sunday night. If you lose this game, you know you know who the Giants play Week 3 on Thursday? Who? The San Francisco 49ers <laughs> oh, dear on Jesus. the road. Oh, sweet so, baby Jesus. Think it, that defense is going to be a little nicer? No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you're looking at that performance against the Cowboys, good luck against San Francisco. So you're pretty much starting 0-3 if you don't beat the Cardinals on Sunday. So yeah, you, I think, you have to win. I think that's the positive to, to, to walk away with in this week out of anything that you can take is that it's a new week and the new week is against the Cardinals. And the Cardinals made the Commanders in a game where they played super sloppy look really good, and Sam Howell had a had a touchdown right at the end to, to, to save that game for them. But, but I mean, I don't think anybody is is putting holding Washington to a super high tier. And, I mean, the Cardinals really 
look terrible against them. So I mean, this is this is where the Giants have to turn around. I mean, you look at the Vikings; they they're quickly the first team to zero and two, and they're they're scrambling. They got to turn around, losing to the Bucks and then the Eagles last night. But I think that that's the positive for the Giants is you got the Cardinals coming up. Hopefully, the D line can get some things going. Hopefully, the defense can get some confidence back. The offense on the same on the same same thing. I mean, special teams, same thing. But Daniel Jones, if he could have a good game against the Cardinals, get Saquon involved more. It's it's always tough when you go down by that big of a score because you really can't run the ball too much because you gotta you gotta conserve the time, conserve the clock if you want to try and make a comeback. So Saquon only got carried the ball twelve times. So if you can get him more involved, I think next week could be a completely completely different story for the, the Giants. The, the next four games. Last thing I'll say after the Cardinals. You play four playoff teams from last year. So you play San Francisco on Thursday in a short week. Then you have Seattle Miami, at Miami and then at Buffalo. So you you better win this game against Arizona because if you don't, I'm out. Because I do I'm remember, done. I do remember late some like late in the summer as we're getting closer to NFL season. You know, the Giants were always middle to harder side of the pack in terms of strength of schedule. So, yeah, I think it's a really scary spot for them to be in. I don't think there's anything else that we can really say about their performance up until this point um, that hasn't been said in these you know, past couple painful couple minutes. But before I send it over to the AFC squad here in New York City, my question I'm just going to post you guys really quickly, and we did kind of touch on it a little bit, but I think, you know, just given a just going to ask it point blank. Where do the Giants go from here after a week one like that one? You have to erase that from your memory as quick as possible. If you're in that locker room, if you're a coach on that staff, you have to just wipe that clean out of your memory. It didn't happen. Let's just focus on Arizona on Sunday because you can't just harp on it. We've seen team get blown out before. I remember the Vikings last year had a horrendous performance against the Cowboys where they lost like 41-3, to like – and this was week 11 or something. So teams can bounce back from it, but you have to trust what you have. So again, against the Cardinals, like Merrick was saying, it can be a nice confidence boosting game where Daniel Jones plays well. Saquon has a good game. Maybe feed Darren Waller a little bit. But again, they just have to show something on Sunday. They can't go out and scrape by with a 16-13 to 13 win. You have to win by a couple of possessions to fully bring me back because I, I don't know where I stand right now I'm not giving up but it's it's a it's a bleak spot for to be a New York Giants fan right now yeah I think the key is is win and win big it, it can't be a close game and I think it all starts with the defense I think the defense has to have a really big get right week this week because in the NFC in particular if you don't have a top tier defense you're not gonna be able to hang talking about the Niners the Eagles the Cowboys and so on I mean the Vikings look at them they had and have an atrocious defense and they let DeAndre Swift run for like almost 200 yards. So the defense for the Giants has to get right in a game where they're probably going to be playing against Josh Dobbs, who hopefully Dexter Lawrence can get to a couple times. And I was say who looked objectively awful. Even, yeah. even Kayvon Thibodeau, who yeah, did exactly. nothing on Sunday. You got to get the pass rushers involved. It, there needs to be more in all facets of the game for the Giants. Yeah. Well, Brian. The Giants talk has come to a close. That, that can, was therapeutic. Thank you for giving me I'm, I'm happy that we were able to do you a service. Because there was two ways I could have taken this. It could have been, 
a a mockery thing where I made jokes the whole yeah. time and and really made you feel it, even though it was multiple days ago. Or we could just you know all have kind of a venting session, and I felt that was the more appropriate route because that agree. would be that would be mean to put you through. I already made enough jokes the night that we watched the game together, so um, that's that is a thing of the past. So like we said. The Giants take on the Arizona Cardinals this weekend in week two. Season starts Sunday. Season does start this Sunday. But now we're going to pull the turf out. That's actually a kind of a ironic thing to say, given who we're about to talk about. But I was actually making a joke about the changing of fields at MetLife Stadium. Um, we're going to pull the turf out, take the Giants field out, and put the New York Jets field in MetLife Stadium and talk about the emotional roller coaster that was this past Monday night football for the New York Jets as they defeated the Buffalo Bills 22-16. to Now, I'm going to address the elephant in the room. Aaron Rodgers' first drive as a New York Jet really did push the narrative further that the NFL has script writers. That's been the <laughs> joke that I've been making. Because there is, I can't even fathom the hype that has surrounded his arrival to this team it honestly made people care more about training camp and preseason than I think NFL as a collective have ever before. Hard knocks had everyone watching. And on the fourth play of what was supposed to be a you know, storybook season for Aaron Rodgers to try to prove himself in another market, bring another team you know, in desperate need of a playoff appearance and a successful season to that successful point, Aaron Rodgers injures his Achilles and ends his season four plays into his New York Jets career. Jack, it was really sad just watching it, and you touched on it perfectly, all the hype that surrounded this New York Jets team. This was a team, this this wasn't how it was supposed to go. It was not supposed to end this way. The Jets were supposed to take over New York City, possibly make a run at the Super Bowl, and just have some excitement at MetLife Stadium for the New York Jets that we haven't seen. We haven't seen a quarterback of this caliber play for the New York Jets arguably ever, ever, and for it to just be taken away on the fourth play for the Jets. It's just so, it hurts so much, and it's just so sad. I feel for Jets fans. They've been going through it for so long. They've seen so much bad football, haven't had a quarterback since the 1960s. They just haven't been able to do anything right. You finally had your semblance of hope with Aaron Rodgers, that in this offense he can take you to the Super Bowl. You have so much talent around him. Rodgers is bought in. And for it to just end in an instant, it's crushing. Even, even not even as a Jets fan, just as a football fan, that was really hard to watch. Despite the win, it just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah, it just goes to show you, I mean, football, they always talk about how football is a business and this and that, but football is also just a cruel sport. I mean, you, you talk about HBO and Hard Knocks and, and how a lot of people were complaining, like, it, it was the Aaron Rodgers show, this and that, but, I mean, it deserved to be the Aaron Rodgers show because he was the selling piece of the New York Jets this year, and, and within seconds, it's over. Like, in terms of in terms of Aaron Rodgers, obviously, the Jets it will be will remain to see. But I, w- I wasn't even watching that point of the game. I was sitting in class, and class had ended, and, and the people behind me were talking about Aaron Rodgers, and I was like, oh, yeah, what's going on in the game? And they were like, Aaron Rodgers is out. Like, he got carted off the field, and I was like, you have got to be kidding me. I thought he was joking. I, I, I thought there's no way that that actually happened. There's no way that's serious. I mean, it's just so cruel, and, and you, like you said, you can't help but feel for Jets fans. And, and they haven't – I saw a stat this week. They haven't had a starting quarterback play the whole season 
since Ryan Fitzpatrick in 2015. Wow. That's insane. So that just goes to show you a bit about the quarterback troubles, that the cloud that has been hanging over MetLife Stadium and the New York Jets for are, so long. Are the Jets cursed? They they have to be. It, the, whatever happened on Monday night, that's living proof. There's a curse on the New York Jets. You can't convince me otherwise. I mean, what I think is is incredibly upsetting about this as well is we're talking about how upsetting this is for the Jets and the Jets faithful. But this is bad for the game because, you know, I've talked about this before on podcasts, on, on you know, one-on-one, that we're getting older. We really are. And we're seeing a lot of our childhood heroes and childhood favorites, you know, start to kind of go into extinction, start to start to retire, start to get enshrined in Hall of Fame, start to, you know, move on with their lives and, and you know, enjoy the rest of their lives with with the wife and kids. But, you know, Aaron Rodgers is almost 40 years old and he seems optimistic about coming back from this injury, which we'll get into yeah. in a little bit. But. Even still, if he had stayed fully healthy this season, you know, most people were projecting him with New York to be a one to three year kind of thing that like he's not going to pull a Tom Brady where he's trying to play like well into his 40s. He's not going to do any of that kind of deal. But Aaron Rodgers is still I think of the kind of the OG crew of of, you know exciting quarterbacks that we grew up on and I think of Brady I think of Eli Manning I think of Peyton Manning I think of Ben Roethlisberger I and you know Aaron Rodgers truthfully is the one of the last of that crew of elite quarterbacks that have you know are is a quarterback that two generations may sometimes even three generations of football fans got to see and witness and experience. I was a little kid having my dad still teaching me about football when Aaron Rodgers was at his best in, in, in Green Bay. He's been around a long time. He was a Brett Favre, you know, he was a Brett Favre Padawan and and ended up becoming one of the greatest quarterbacks of our generation. So just not just at the Jets level, because that's obvious, this is this is an upsetting experience for National Football League as a whole. The fans, the players, no one wants to see things like this happen. And now it's opening the doors to all different sorts of other conversations about, oh, was artificial turf the reason that he hurt himself? I don't know. I, 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 I'm, I, I understand there are damning statistics that show that there's been a significantly higher amount of non-contact knee and leg injuries on artificial playing surfaces in comparison to naturally grown grass ones. Um, but it's important if that's actually what caused it. I Again, I don't know if we'll ever truly know that, but this is just negative in every... I know it's such a Captain Obvious statement, but truthfully, there's no... The only positive thing we've seen so far is you know a smiling picture of him from the hospital. Yeah. Even that's hard to see. Even that's bittersweet. But... All of the Aaron Rodgers drama aside, the New York Jets defense arguably forced Josh Allen to play the worst game we've ever seen him play. Josh Allen, three interceptions. He was 29 of 41 for 236 yards. Stephon Diggs had a good game. He was able to find Diggs a few times and you know other you know keys of the Buffalo Bills offense. But New York held Buffalo to 16 points in the entirety of the game. You had, you know, five sacks from the the New York defense. And then on top of that, I think it was a, a going back to the negativity that surrounded the Rodgers injury. It was a double edged sword because it was, oh, my God, Aaron Rodgers is hurt. And then once you collect yourself after that, the next one is, 
oh my God, here comes Zach Wilson. We just thought we got rid of him. Right. And so Zach Wilson, 14 of 21 for 140 yards. He had a pick, but he also had an unreal touchdown pass to uh, Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson. So, you know, he held his own. But the question that I really have after a game like this one, because truthfully, what won what what won the Jets this game besides Xavier Gibson's clutch sixty-five yard game-winning punt return in overtime was the defense, which I think everyone going into the season knew the biggest thing to fear with the New York Jets is their defense. They're one of the most. I think uh, in terms of depth and just overall talent, they're one of the most reliable defenses as of right now. And, you know, I don't think anyone was shocked. I think people were probably more shocked with how badly Josh Allen played than shocked with how good the Jets defense played. Yep. Um, but the question I have after a game like this one, because, again, even though the Jets were able to finish the game with more points than their opponent— the offense wasn't incredible. I mean, it, it came down to a clutch punt return, like we said, and and three interceptions from Josh Allen, which definitely helped the cause of the Jets winning. But after a game like this one, where you see a subpar, good enough performance from the offense, and a pretty damn good performance from the defense, a very you know adversity-filled win, hard-fought win for the Jets— does this week one victory convince you enough that this Jets team, even without Aaron Rodgers, is still a force to be reckoned with, is still a contender? So it depends what we look at as a success from this point on. With Rodgers, unquestionably, they're a Super Bowl contender. They have to be in that conversation with the talent at quarterback and then the whole roster around them. They were in the Super Bowl conversation. And now with Aaron Rodgers out, that's incredibly unlikely in my eyes. Now, they can still make the playoffs and have a pretty fun season. I still think that's very much on the table. They can get a wild card and break the playoff drought because they haven't made the playoffs since 2010. So they they can do that. But, I mean... And that was an AFC title game. Right, yeah. It's been... And that's forever ago. Yeah. 13 years ago. So... I think they can make the playoffs. I still think I still have some optimism because there was too much hype around this team for them to just fall apart right away. And I know there's a lot of negativity surrounding Zach Wilson and say what you will, but I'll just say this. I'm pretty excited for what Zach Wilson can do. I think he's going to take a step forward this year. If you if you watch Hard Knocks, you the whole thing we saw is how Zach got an opportunity to learn from Aaron Rodgers, and he still has the opportunity to learn from Aaron Rodgers. Now, the first week where he is thrown into the fire and it's kind of chaotic, is out of the way. He has a full week to prepare for the Dallas Cowboys and the other games that they have down the stretch. I think Zach Wilson's going to take a step forward. He, he can't get worse. So I think with Aaron Rodgers in his ear, I think we're going to see maybe more semblance of the number two overall pick out of Zach Wilson than he showed in years past. Yeah, I mean, what if the whole time the story of Hard Knocks was not actually the Aaron Rodgers show, but was actually the redemption arc of Zach Wilson? Oh, could you imagine if he lights up the league? <laughs> I mean, obviously he's got to play better than he has in, in previous years in his career, but I think when you got a guy like, I mean, I was really impressed with Brees Hall on Monday night. I mean, that 83-yard rush, he looked really healthy in he that game. Fantastic. He was able to have 10 carries, and plus you got Dalvin back there. I think the pieces are still in place for this Jets team to have a good season and, like you said, be a playoff team. I think my biggest 
worry about making the playoffs for the Jets is just how deep the AFC is. Because on the NFC side, there are some really great teams in the top half, but it kind of it kind of fizzles out. And when you get down towards the wild card, it's a, more, a bit more iffy. Whereas in the AFC, I don't think there's any shortage of teams that can make that wild card spot. I mean, you look at any division in the AFC, I'd say there's one to two teams at least, at the very minimum, that think they're going to make it. I mean, in the AFC East, you have three teams think they're going to make the playoffs. AFC North, you have three teams that are think they're going to make the playoffs. AFC West, you have all four teams apparently thinking that they're going to make the playoffs. Even in the AFC East, you yeah. could argue you all You could argue all the Patriots, right. especially after that performance against the Eagles where they looked really good. I mean, it's just that's the toughest part for the Jets. It's not so much the pieces that they have or like how Zach Wilson performs. Obviously, that's a huge part of it, but it's also like you're in a tough you're in a tough conference in the AFC, and it's there's no fight. there's no shortage of teams that are going to be in a similar position to you, fighting to get in. And it's a long road for the Jets, but I think with Zach Wilson, with with Aaron Rodgers' mentorship, and and Nathaniel Hackett is is a good coordinator. I mean, obviously he had that whole debacle in Denver last year, but as a coordinator, he's had a lot of success with Rodgers, and I think he could really help Zach Wilson out a lot. So so I think this Jets team can definitely make the playoffs, but it, it's going to be a dogfight for sure. From what I've been shown from the New York Jets defensive unit so far, <coughs> I'm only led to believe that the success of the Jets this year is on Zach Wilson. I really do. And and I would say other parts of the offense, but it's I think the focus is more offensive this year because if you think about it last year, and part of the— you know, part of, I, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm rooting for Zach Wilson. And it's actually for one very specific reason. And it's because last year, I had nothing better to do on my Christmas break. So I went up to MetLife Stadium for a Thursday night football oh, game. you did, that's right. Between the Jets and the Jaguars, I froze my behind off and sat in sleep. Because I just wanted to go. It, well, you know what? NFL tickets are expensive, yeah. and I got and I got these tickets for like twenty bucks a piece. I got wow. into a regular season that, NFL. That's game. a good now. A granted, game too. now granted, the Jets were awful by that point, so yeah. that was part of why they were cheap. And it was like a nor'easter; like it was the weather was insane. I never bundled up like an event for that ever. But my point being is, I went to that game, and I watched quite literally Zach Wilson get booed off the field. That's a, that's essentially what I watched. And I'd never witnessed anything like that. I remember joking about it on my first ever one-on-one because we were talking about, we talked about football. And I said that I felt like I had to shower after hearing some of the things that I heard Jets fans say to their own quarterback. You clean off after that. Yeah, I felt like I need to cleanse myself. I I thought I had to go to confession at the the church on (laughs) campus because just hearing some of the things that those Jets fans said. You know, that's not something that, unless it's your absolutely hated rival, unless it's like a Michigan-Ohio State type deal, uh, uh, maybe a giant for you, a Giants-Eagles type deal, yeah, or right. a Giants-Cowboys type deal, um, that's never something you want to see happen to a young quarterback. And on top of that, I think it was even more upsetting to see it happen to him because the Jets had a lot of hype around them the first you know, five to seven, eight weeks of the season because he was playing quite well. In fact, mm-hmm. he was ex- he excited the hell out of New York. So, I I I think that one. I think he handled the scrutiny that he got last year pretty well, and that enabled me to kind of not necessarily like love him, but like at least respect him. It like took, it, it took him a little bit to get there. But it took did. it took him some time to get there. But my point is, once it got to its worst, he he shut yeah. up and he listened. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I say though that the success lies in mostly Zach Wilson and the offense's hands is because that's exactly what ruined their season last year. 
That Jets defense was talented last year, too. That Jets defense kept them in games last season, too. That Jets defense came off the field gassed and had to run right back out because of three three and outs and turnovers half of the season. So I've already seen how this unfolds with a Jets defense that showed up. And it's and they still didn't have a winning season. So I can't go out on a whim and be like, well, you know what? I still have faith. You know what? Zach Wilson is TBD. We'll see what happens with him. But as long as that Jets defense stays, you know, stays the way they need to be, they should have a shot. Granted, they need, you know, the rest of the season isn't written for them. That Jets defense still needs to play the way that they've been playing. But that is the only factor of the New York Jets that has really given me any sense of confidence in the team. So it's going to take more than them because last season the defense for half to most of the from end of the first half to pretty much the entire second half of the season defense was all they had and they were still losing games yeah if you're Robert Sala or if you're Nathaniel Hackett it's just all about reestablishing the confidence in Zach Wilson and I think from seeing what we've seen out of the Jets in the past week they've done a pretty good job of showing that they have faith in Zach. You know, the second Aaron Rodgers went down, all the discussion went to, oh, look at the quarterbacks in the free agent market. Carson Wentz is available. Oh, Cam Newton's available. Maybe should they reach out to the Falcons for a trade for Taylor Heineke? Like, everyone's brains just went places, and the Jets just went, yeah, Zach's our guy. Zach's our number one. So, point blank, they believe in Zach Wilson. And you look at his teammates, too. I don't know if you saw the video of Alan Lazard after the touchdown pass. And he kind of just reassured him, like, all right, look, that that one's out of the way. Like, we're good. Let's go now win this game. So the team looks like they believe in him, which was kind of the detriment last year where they stopped believing him, believing in him, and they put their attention towards Mike White. Well, now they have to believe in him. And so they've been doing that. So now it's just on Zach Wilson to perform and just get the confidence back. This guy was a second overall pick. Second overall in a pretty talented quarterback class, might I add. So... There's a lot of talent still there with this young quarterback who's only in his third year in the league. So there's still room to grow. And if he can show that, the Jets could be right in the thick of the playoff race. And they beat the Bills at home with Zach Wilson and without Aaron Rodgers pretty much for the whole game. So I think Zach just needs to be confident and hopefully learn from Aaron Rodgers, get back to what he was doing at BYU, and just be the quarterback that the Jets envisioned that he would be when they drafted him that highly in 2021. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, I think it's it's obviously unfortunate the way it came about, but I think Zach Wilson, even even with the acquiring of Rodgers, was always going to be the Jets' future plan at the position once Rodgers eventually decided to retire. People just didn't expect it to be happening in week one of the Aaron Rodgers era in New York. But, I mean, I think that just shows you that there is still confidence in Zach Wilson, and that is the most important thing with a young quarterback is confidence and trust. And I think if they didn't have that in him, they would have dealt him this offseason when they got Rodgers and tried to to get some picks while he's still young and on that rookie contract. But, yeah, I think... I think he's going to have to prove a lot this year, and I think that he's capable of doing it. I think if he can turn into that guy he was in college, or even even in the preseason, I mean, he had, he had some really good flashes in the preseason. If he can if he can be that guy, I think that the Jets the Jets will be all right. Well, he's going to be put to the test this weekend in his first start of the year on the road against the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, who hey, just, hey Zach, that that defensive front for the Cowboys, it, it's pretty good. It's 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 pretty damn good. But I you know tell what? You firsthand. But you know what? I think. I think if, like I said, if the defense 
continues to play at the caliber that this New York G- defense has played at. And then after week one, you know, the Jets had a pretty good game against Buffalo on the ground. They're now fourth in the NFL in rushing yards after week one. Last year, now nah, we were talking about the Dallas defensive front, but last year, Dallas finished number like 22nd in the league in uh, rush defense. So there's certain things that show the Jets can put up a fight. It's going to be a hard one. I do think the Cowboys will win ultimately. Um, but I'm not counting out the Jets by any stretch of the imagination. Before we move on to our last, you know, few little odds and ends that we have to hit for this week's, you know, NFL coverage, I want to talk about something briefly that we kind of started this segment with, but I know Merrick, we chatted before the show that there seemed to be some speculation on the status of Aaron Rodgers, that he had some quite hopeful messages for the public. Um, after you know getting some treatment after his injury and making you know some of his first public statements, what uh, I know you had some you want to talk about that. Yeah, you know I mean my first thought that popped into my head when I heard it was an Achilles tear for Rogers or rupture. I, I think it's that's the phrasing on this injury in particular. But I immediately was like, is Aaron Rodgers about to retire with one career pass attempt for the New York Football Jets? Like I, I was I was immediately thinking about that, and I I had even like slightly convinced myself that that was going to happen, but. But Rodgers got successful surgery, I believe, yesterday, and it was performed by the same guy, actually, who who did surgery on Kobe's Achilles when he had that injury. But Rodgers said, give me the doubts, give me the timetable, give me all the things you think you can, should, will happen. All I need is one little extra percent of inspiration, then watch what I do. So so, so a very positive remark from Rodgers coming out of surgery that, that I think can put a lot of Jets fans' minds at ease in terms of the future with Aaron Rodgers and the fact that he will most likely be back with the Jets next year and hopefully we'll, we'll get a full season under his belt. I had a similar initial reaction to you like you just described with Aaron Rodgers tearing his Achilles, knowing his age, and seeing that, oh, he might retire. And this isn't meant to be a dig at Aaron Rodgers, not at this time, but the way that he is, I could imagine him seeing that and be like, yeah, you know, that Achilles tear, it just felt like... A message from God that my time on the football field, it's come to an end. But he did not do that. I mean, the way that he's talking on Pat McAfee today, these quotes, I mean, he seems pretty dead set on not ending his career like that. And he is going to come back. Because keep in mind, I said earlier, he's invested a lot in the New York Jets. He's bought in. And I don't think he wants it to end after just four plays. And, I mean... Julia Moss was in here earlier and said, oh, Rodgers might come back this year. And initially, I was like, okay, that's not possible. He tore his Achilles. But, I mean, looking at some of these quotes, he says, just because somebody hasn't done it in a certain way doesn't mean it's not possible. What I've already put together is a pretty damn good rehab plan that'll shock some people. So is he hinting that he could get back before the end of the season I have no idea you never know with Aaron Rodgers like you 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 truly never know what you're getting with Aaron <laughs> Rodgers this is a guy who openly does psychedelics and went on a darkness retreat and um and that's not a detriment to him because actually I think he's one of the more entertaining personalities in the National Football League yeah. I actually really enjoy him um I think people have kind of a love hate with him some people find him to be kind of a jerk um and you know, he has the resume to act however he wants to act. But, um, no, I mean, I'm not going to put the mortgage on a return this season. But all I'm going to say is what sets apart these elite NFL quarterbacks, and not just elite NFL quarterback backs, but elite NFL players in general, the ones who are immortalized in Canton 
are the psychopaths. <laughs> they are psycho. You might talk to, you might see an interview with Tom Brady and go, oh yeah, he's a good looking guy, you know. That guy's crazy. You know, yeah. has, has you know had 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 a nice little family with with Giselle. I know they're not together anymore, but you know he's he's a good looking guy, great football player. Seems to have his wits about him. That dude is bat bleep crazy. That's how he was able to be as successful as he was. He didn't take failure for an answer. Some of these guys truly will go to hell and back because they have no other choice. Their brain forces them to. I'm truly convinced that a lot of these elite, and it doesn't even, like I said, it's not just quarterbacks. Ray Lewis was a psychopath. That's how these guys, they're not they're not great because they want to be great. They're great because they have to be great because their brain pushes them to be great. So I wouldn't be surprised I wouldn't be shocked in the slightest. I, like I said, I'm not predicting a this season return from Aaron no, Rodgers. I think that's no. crazy. The best you would be able to get with Aaron Rodgers coming back this season would be like if they made the AFC title. And even that, I think, would be rushing. I don't know. I'm no licensed physician, but I don't think even that would time wise make sense. Um, but I, it would be one of the least shocking things I've ever seen if he comes back after this. Truthfully, because everyone kept. I know his his wasn't because of injury, but just of overall age. People had to have predicted Brady's retirement three different times, and then he actually retired, and then chose that was the wrong idea, and came out of retirement again. So, yeah. um, I, I, you know, I, I see, I, I wouldn't, like I said, I would not be surprised by a return. I mean, I'm awaiting his return. Me too. We, we've all, we all were so pumped up to see Aaron Rodgers with the Jets in 2023. So it just feels wrong for it to just be ripped away from us so quickly. I already love going to school in New York, but it excited me even more to just be living in New York, like in New York City for the Aaron Rodgers era. I, I think that's part of what was kind of deflating too, was I, I was excited to just see, you know, kind of the, the vibrance of the city. If what, you know, what he was going to bring to the football culture around here, you know, make a team that was, you know, it's such a big sports market that demands so much of their teams. And it's a team that really hasn't performed. And like you said earlier in the episode, over a decade, I was excited to see what would happen. And it was pretty deflating. But so we unpacked quite a bit in the tri-state. We did. I want to talk about just very briefly. We're not going to spend too, too much time on this, but just very, very briefly. I want to talk about last night's Thursday night football game. Very high scoring. Philadelphia Eagles defeat the Minnesota Vikings 34-28. So the Vikings now have an 0-2 start to their season where the Eagles have the inverse 2-0. But even though the scoreboard would tell you a lot of offense and a lot of scoring, tonight, I mean, last night really was a sloppy battle because, first of all, defending NFC champions Philadelphia Eagles last week played quite poorly in New England, one, but one ugly. And even after a victory last night over an, a, a good NFC team, I still think the Vikings are a good team. I think they're having a horrible start, but I think they're a good team. Even during a win last night, the Eagles fans were booing in the first half when a string of, you know, Eagles plays on offense went nowhere. Um, you know, it was, you know, a sloppy game on both sides of the ball, but I think more of the, I'm sorry, both sides of the field, but I think what more the cameras were turned towards was another turnover palooza for the Minnesota Vikings, who had three first-half turnovers last week against Tampa Bay and then followed that up with another three first-half uh, fumbles or first-half turnovers. I think they were all fumbles, actually. They were. Yeah, last night against Philly. 
broke their own record from 2005 yeah, you saw that, but... <laughs> for most uh, for most first half turnovers in the first two games of a season. I believe it was the 05 Vikings the 05 that they, Vikings, they knocked yeah. off. And some of them were even just painful, like Justin Jefferson, who had a 30-yard catch heading into the end zone and dropped the ball out of bounds, resulting in a touchback, giving the ball back to the Philadelphia Eagles, a huge, which would end up being a six-point loss. It ended up being the difference in the game. But Merrick, our in-house Eagles connoisseur, what do you make of last night? I mean, last night was last year's Eagles team. It was, it was. we're going to run it down your throat and you're going to do absolutely nothing about it because you can't do anything about it. And the defense is just going to turn the ball. I mean, DeAndre Swift, 28 carries, 175 yards and a score. Jalen, two touchdowns on the most unstoppable play in all of sports. And the defense turned the ball over. The biggest takeaway on the negative side here for the Eagles, I would say, is the injuries. I mean, the secondary is banged up. I mean, Bradbury missed this game due to an injury. Could have definitely used him, especially on that Addison touchdown. I, I saw he was on the outside, and I was like, that would have been Bradbury guarding him, and that's a different that's a different perspective than having Josh Job guard you. And now you have Avante Maddox, who's gone down now apparently for the for the rest of the season, which is pretty tough. So you're going to see guys like Eli Ricks and and Josh Job having a much bigger role in this team. Which who knows? I mean, the Eagles secondary has always kind of been iffy outside of Slay and Bradbury last year, but it's going to be interesting to see how they move forward because now they have injuries in the in the safety room in the corner room and I think they looked really out of sorts last night in the secondary obviously you're going to rely on the D-line to make up for that which I think they did a good job of last night and I think you need to see more from Jalen I have been I've been unimpressed with Jalen in the first two weeks not that he's been bad by any means he's won two games but I think everybody's been talking about how in the Eagle circles, how he needs to do more in the air this year, and he hasn't really done that in the first two weeks. Granted, week one it was rainy, but I still want to see more out of him, but but the ground game seems just as dominant as it was last year. Yeah, I mean, the Eagles, they're 2-0 and to start the year, so even through their, I guess, not great play, like sl- kind of slogging their way to some of these wins, they're still 2-0. and and yes, you would like to see more out of Jalen Hurts. I mean, last year, last night, he's only thrown for 193 with an interception too, and he was sacked four. A bad times. interception too. It yeah. was not a good one. Mm-hmm. So you'd like to see that get cleaned up. And he didn't exactly light it up in New England in Foxborough either. Right. And even with the secondary, like you were talking about, you know, the Patriots. There were a lot of question marks on that offense, but offensively, the Patriots had a pretty good day in Week One, and then last night. Some of the Vikings receivers, I mean, Justin Jefferson had 159 yards in the air. TJ Hawkinson had two touchdowns. And even, like, you look at Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins catches a lot of flack from NFL fans. But last night, he threw for 364 yards and four touchdowns, no turnovers. So Kirk Cousins was almost flawless last night, and they still lost. So the Vikings, they're going to need to figure it out. And they're 0-2 right now, but that easily could have been different if they just beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers well, week one in your own building. Well, that's a perfect point because that's actually a, you listed all three statistics. Thanks a lot. The, the <laughs> Sorry, I was dude. going to say took the words right out of my mouth. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but no, I think it's what's really interesting and I'll, I'll, I'll close it with this is, you know, I think these two teams were in exactly <laughs> opposing positions. You got the Eagles who are undefeated and are pretty dissatisfied with how they've you know how they've looked and performed up until this point where as they head into week three 
And then you have a Minnesota Vikings team who, more offensively than defensively, besides the, the fumbles, has really given their all and had two very winnable games and are, you know, Kirk Cousins, like you said, 364 yards and four tutties. How much more can you ask for out of your quarterback and lose a game? You know, how, how much TJ Hawkinson ha- got me on the board early in fantasy. I'm really hoping that that, you know, the rest of my team, <laughs> I'm hoping the rest of my team knows the assignment because TJ Hawkinson <laughs> got me over 20 points last night. I think he got me 25 out of a tight end, which is nuts. Um, Justin Jefferson, another productive weekend. So you see this offense knows how to get the ball over the goal line. It's just mistakes that are eating away at them, turnovers, inability, you know, on defense. It's tough. It's two tough losses for the Minnesota Vikings. But all in all, a great game last night either way. It was back and forth, lots of scoring. And two teams that are good, you know, I guess they're good teams that disappointed us a little bit in how they performed. But against each other, it made for a good football game. So you can't really ask for a better game than you got last night. It got interesting towards the very end, but... As we, as I, uh, as I previously mentioned, thirty-four to twenty-eight, the final Eagles over the Vikings. But we're just about done with this episode. But before we finish, I have one more quick thing that I want to swing through very quickly. And before this episode, us three prepared. We had a lock of the week, and we got a dog of the week. So our lock is somebody who we, you know, put put the mortgage on it, put the house on it. Just don't find us financially liable if it goes awry please don't yeah please don't and then we got our underdog of the week so for this weekend's slate of games my lock for this weekend i have the detroit lions at home over the seattle seahawks seattle does have to play better in this game they do because last weekend was very deflating for them against los angeles um it it's only because it's really hard to fathom if the Seahawks can even play worse than they did last week. It's really why they need to play so good this weekend. Um, but on top of that, they're going to need to play a hell of a lot better if they want to beat the Detroit Lions, who not only are getting their first game in front of a home crowd, but are coming off a huge victory on the road for week one in the season opener league-wide at Arrowhead Stadium, which is one of the hardest uh, stadiums to play on the road. Um, you know, Detroit's offense, I think is incredibly intimidating and, you know, I just don't see Seattle being able to match that for, or at least I don't think that, I think that the Lions have too much momentum for Seattle right now. And so my lock, I wanted to pick a lock that was not like a very obvious lock, but like, Mm -hmm. I still want there to be a little bit of, Ooh, you're, you're. You're pushing the envelope with that one, but I do think that it's a lock. They are favored, um, you know, in Vegas. So that's my lock for the weekend. Brian, who is your lock this weekend? So when I was looking through the slate of games, I didn't see any real game that I was like, oh, yeah, that's a definite. So I think every team borderline has a chance, but, I mean, you were talking about not wanting to go for the obvious ones. I'm just not cut out like you. I'm I'm gonna pick like the most obvious one of the week. Uh, Bills over the Raiders. Yep. I mean, you're looking at the Bills at home in Buffalo against the Raiders, who put up 17 points against the Broncos last week. Like mm-hmm. they weren't that impressive. So you're looking at the Bills at home, and does anyone see Buffalo starting 0 and 2 this year? I don't. So lock of the week, Bills 
at home against Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> yeah, I'll take the Bills. By the way, you're not like me, but I'm also very – I was also trying to be nice. I knew that you did, in fact, <laughs> have the Bills in your possibilities, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to let him have it. Well, you're a very nice guy, and I appreciate that. Now I have my moment where I can have the Bills and <laughs> – if and you know, assuming they win, I'm, I'm a charitable. I'm gonna look really smart. I'm a so charitable. I'm a charitable young man, and I appreciate that. Merrick, who you got? I wish I could say I'm getting creative, but I'm also going super basic. We're going. We're going Niners on the road in LA against the Rams. This Niners defense is legit, and Brock Purdy looked great in Week One. People talk about him as a game manager. He was not looking like a game manager in Week One. Some of the touchdowns he threw to Ayuk, who is yet another weapon on that offense that seemingly has names that. Run forever, and I don't think this Rams team is going to be doing what they did last week every week, especially against the Niners defense and the Niners D line that's going to have Stafford under pressure the whole game. And I don't think Puka Nakua and Tutu Atwell are going to do what they did last week against this Niners defense. So Nakua might not play. So I got the not. Then he definitely won't be able to do yeah. what he did last <laughs> week. <laughs> so so that makes me look even smarter. So yeah, Niners on the road. It's it's easy money. Great choices all around. Now, to finish off today's episode, a loaded episode, we got our underdogs. I'm going with the Baltimore Ravens over the Cincinnati Bengals. And do not think for one second that Baltimore doesn't remember their last trip to Cincinnati. Because that was a tough loss, a winnable game that absolutely could have went the other way. I think that is fuel for this Ravens team. On top of that, you know, both offenses I do think will play better. I, I, it's honestly hard to play worse than the Bengals' offense played um, last weekend, especially for Joe Burrow's sake. Um, but the return of Mark Andrews I think is huge for Baltimore. He'll be returning to the field, and then on top of that, I think I think Lamar Jackson, and I'm praying Lamar Jackson because you kind of lost fantasy for me last week. Um, I do think Lamar Jackson will have, you know, last week was his rust buster. I wish it wasn't, but it was. And I think Lamar Jackson is going to have his breakout game this weekend against the Bengals. And I think that this, I think the Ravens offense is going to click in a way that they didn't last weekend. Even though the offense didn't look too bad last weekend, it just still really wasn't overly impressive. Um, but no, I got the Ravens. I, w- I judged my dogs based off more like spreads. So right. the... Mm-hmm. The Bengals are favored, so I'm taking the Ravens. So, I was looking at a couple of dogs this week to see who I was going to go with, and there's I'm still kind of debating, but I think you, with your lock, I might be inclined to go Ooh. Seattle over <laughs> Detroit. I like it. No, I really like that. my dog. Listen, this Seattle Seahawks team, they made the playoffs last year, so... Listen, they didn't play well week one, and they know that, but they can regroup. And, and they were the first team. They were the team that kept the Lions out of the playoffs last exactly, year. Exactly, right? And they beat Detroit on the road last year as well. So I wouldn't count Gino out. Don't write Gino off because he will not write back. Just remember that. <laughs> I didn't write back, though. <laughs> That's the problem. But I think the Lions, a lot of people are really high on the Lions, as they should be. But, I mean, I don't think that they're crazy good enough that we're like, they should be heavily favored over the Seattle Seahawks, a playoff team last year. So, I like Seattle in this matchup. The Lions are on a long week, so they've been resting for a while. So, maybe they don't come out as hot out of the, out of the gate. So, give me Seattle over the Detroit Lions for my dog of the week. Love I'm, it. I'm going with a rookie quarterback. I'm going I'm going Panthers plus three at home. Bryce, Ooh, Bryce Young's. I like that. 
Bryce Young's first home game. They lost week one in a, in a divisional game. Bryce Young threw two picks. He had a bit of a sloppy game. But, you know, it's NFL debut. There's going to be nerves. It was on the road. You got the fans. They're, they're, they're against you, especially in division, going home to home crowd. And I still like a lot of the pieces on this Panthers defense. I think they do have a good defense, and especially their secondary has a lot of, a lot of good players in it. And the Saints, while winning in week one, beat a Titans team that I am not very high on. I don't think that the Titans are going to be doing anything man, super the Titan, impressive. The Titans really bad in New Orleans. They look yeah. terrible. And, and so you can't, you got to take that with a grain of salt. And I think that this Panthers team is, is better than they looked in week one, especially with Bryce Young playing his first game in the NFL. But now... Having a week under his belt, a little bit more preparation. If he plays a cleaner, if he plays a clean game this week and and they don't turn the ball over, I think the Panthers can take this one. Great picks all around, gentlemen. That is gonna just about do it for this week's episode of NFL Friday. Make sure to watch as much football as you possibly can this weekend because we got a great slate of NFL games this Sunday and Monday night. Tune in to NFL Friday next week as we break down post week two. All things Tri-State and beyond in the world of the NFL. For Brian Raybacks and Merrick Rhodes, I'm Jack Warner saying so long 